Hello everyone and we're really proud to announce a brand new addition to our Talk Jive programming family. With us today we have Steve Hager with Oklahoma Indian Legal Services. Hi, how y'all doing? Excellent and of course we have Thomas Ware III. What up? And uh, we're very proud to announce our brand new Ask a Lawyer segment debuting today on Talk Jive Radio. Oh. So one of the things that uh, we wanted to accomplish with this show is to give our listeners and especially our native listeners the ability to have dialogue with attorneys about issues that affect Indians and there's there's it's a, there's such an intricate way that Indians have to go about um, navigating the law especially when they get on the wrong side of it. Well there's a, there's a reason that Indian law is kind of its own uh, its own sector of law. That's know? true. That's very true. Um, especially in a state like Oklahoma, where you've got uh, multiple tribal jurisdictions, you've got state action, you've got uh, everything, and then on top of it all, you've got a Supreme Court case that is going to still be hanging out there for another year, talking about whether or not reservations still exist in Oklahoma. Now let's talk about that because um, now this is the uh, the Murphy case. The Murphy case. And let, let's give our listeners a little bit of background in, in case they haven't been following this as closely as we have. Tell us the um, just the basic premise of the Murphy case. Well, it's a it's a really interesting case. It comes out of a criminal matter in uh, in uh, what amounts to Muscogee Creek uh, reservation land, but it didn't start out that way. What you have is a, a terrible crime. Uh, Murphy, was, uh, Murphy was intoxicated. He got into a fight with a, a person who wasn't his, his enemy, probably sort of a, a friend, and he ended up killing him. And then he ended up mutilating the body. Oh. Now, that was the thing that probably got him in the most trouble because that made it a first degree murder and he's on death row. So the case goes up on appeal. It goes up several times. This, uh, this happened in 1999, and the, uh, the final Tenth Circuit decision was in 2016. So you can see it takes a, a long time to get these matters out. He goes, uh, he goes up on appeal, and there's uh, several different issues that come through. But the one that, uh, that ends up going to the Supreme Court is whether or not the Creek Reservation is still intact. Now, in order to have a reservation diminished or disestablished, you have to have an order from Congress. Congress has to say very clearly and very specifically that this reservation no longer exists. And with a lot of reservations in Oklahoma, that never happened. That just never happened. Just basically so, an oversight, huh? Uh, not an oversight. They just didn't do anything with it. Uh, you know, it's, mm. it's uh, just never really came up. So you have the Tenth Circuit issuing a, an opinion that's about 100 plus pages long that says, based on a, a decision that Justice Thomas wrote and a decision called uh, Solemn versus Bartlett, that the reservation for the Creek Nation is still intact. And if that reservation is still intact, then that means that Mr. Murphy should have been tried in federal court, not in state court. 
He's a tribal member. His victim was a tribal member. So the state had no jurisdiction to hear it whatsoever. Mm. Well, when we talk about the Creek Nation, we're talking about a pretty good chunk of Tulsa. We're talking about, I think, 11 other counties. So we're talking about a big piece of Oklahoma that all of a sudden might be Indian land. And you have uh, literally the definition Indian country. So you have a lot of people who took a whole lot of interest in this case all of a sudden. And it goes up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court hears arguments this year and everybody is anxiously awaiting last week. We know the decision's coming down. We're going to see what happens. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, uh, he stepped out of the case because he was on the Tenth Circuit when the Tenth Circuit issued its decision. Everybody's ready, everybody's ready, everybody's ready, and it was totally anticlimactic. The uh, Supreme Court said, we're going to hear more arguments on this next year. But they issued their uh, October uh, docket, and it's not on those dockets. So we don't know when we're going to hear that argument. We don't know what's going to happen. And everybody's in limbo until then. Well, I can see good things and bad things about that. I mean, the bad thing obviously is we're in limbo. We don't have a decision. And there are a lot of other cases, I'm sure, that are going to be affected by this decision. However, given the, the current political climate, is it a, such a bad thing for us to wait? Because there could possibly be a new administration um, in the White House by the time this gets heard, right? Possibly? Probably not. Probably we're looking at the same type of, of time frame. So about the time the election is going on, the 2020 election is going on, is probably when we might hear something from the Supreme Court. So, Do you think it could, this case could possibly have political implications and motivations surrounding it? I think it's loaded with political implications. Uh, there's a recent case called uh, Parker versus Nebraska that Justice Thomas, of all justices, wrote the majority opinion on, which uh, in that case, it was the Winnebago tribe, and they said, we're pretty sure that our reservation was disestablished 100 years ago. And Justice Thomas, in that opinion, said, no, your reservation was not disestablished. Just because you think it was disestablished doesn't make it disestablished. Congress has to pass that order. And so he, you know, they, they have a reservation, uh, a reservation land there that was, that was sort of, uh, everybody had agreed was no longer a reservation. Well, the difference between these two cases is that that was just some farmland in Nebraska and this is a half of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So. Well, and, and two, this is a person's life. I mean, a person lost their life over this, and then another person is sitting on death row getting ready to be executed by the state of Oklahoma. So I'm sure there are plenty. It's very significant. Yeah, very significant. And there are a lot of issues uh, that, that can be considered because if, if Mr. Murphy is found to be uh, in federal court jurisdiction, there are going to be other people who are in court uh, who are in the, the Oklahoma uh, judicial system who should be probably in the federal system as well. So it would take and, everybody uh, out of like, pretty much the majority of the criminal cases in Oklahoma would be turned over to federal or tribal courts. I wouldn't say a majority, but I'd say a significant 
significant part of them. Because if you're talking about, I mean, because right now we're just talking about the Creek Reservation that was never disestablished. But if this if this ruling goes the way that it should, going by the letter of the law, then how much of the rest of Oklahoma will be turned over? Oh, now that's that's a good question. Remember when we were talking about gaming? Remember when that went out? And the people who were opposed to gaming were saying, you can't have Indian gaming because if you do, 60 some percent of the state falls under tribal jurisdiction. And that was the number that they used. 60 plus percentage of, of jurisdiction would be, uh, would be under, uh, under tribal jurisdiction. Well, let's use that number. Uh, that's, a, that's a fairly significant number of multiple jurisdictions. And strangely enough, if you have those reservations, uh, if they're intact, the people that are going to be most impacted by having Indian country, by having reservations, are going to be Indian people. Oh, yeah. They're going to be the ones who are going to really have to face multiple jurisdictions at, at pretty much all time. You know, there, there are going to be situations where you're going to have all sorts of really interesting legal issues. Now, you know, as a lawyer, I'm, I'm all for interesting legal <laughs> issues because that's how we kind of get paid. But, uh, you know, most people are not going to be really excited to discover that they, uh, what they thought was state jurisdiction is now tribal jurisdiction or, or what is what they assumed was tribal jurisdiction might be uh, something else now. It's just going to be a, a really interesting period of chaos, I think. And the thing about it that, that I believe is going to be a, an issue is that I don't think that the tribes are going to be in control of the situation as much as they might want to. No, and, and that's, that was actually what I was going to ask you is, you know, we talk about sovereignty and that's something that tribal leaders throw out there. That's something tribal citizens, we all say, we're sovereign nations. And, and we, we say it and we throw that word around without really actually understanding what it means. And what, the, what I say, what I mean by that is, if you're a sovereign nation, you better be ready to handle your national defense. You better be ready to have a court system to where you can handle your judicial issues. You better have a legislative branch that's in there that's that's working for everybody. You have to have involved citizens. Oh, you you have to have infrastructure. You have to have, I mean, all of these different things that, that a nation is supposed to take care of for its people and you think about some of the tribal nations just here in Oklahoma the civilized tribes could do it Maybe, but yeah. the sitpots could mm -hmm. do it you know but there there are very very few tribes who could really really handle all of the issues that a nation would have to as far as water as far as um, air regulations you know environmental judicial all of those things that a nation and a country a sovereign nation has to provide for its people you're right I don't think a lot of the tribes they're, they're ill-equipped for it at this point well and it's going to be really interesting to see how the tribes work I mean I think you're going to have to see a lot of tribes uh, possibly come together and form consortiums to handle issues like, um, well, like 
uh, Indian roads, IRR. Yeah, roads, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're going to have to have all sorts of those things sort healthcare, of pop up. Oh, healthcare, you know. Uh, that We didn't even uh, talk about that. Education. We, and, and, well, and, and, okay, so here's another thing about sovereignty that we forget about is IHS is provided for us by the federal government. So there are a few tribes who would even be able to provide health care facilities <laughs> yeah. and, and provide the physicians and the, and the quality of care the, that would be needed, especially when you're talking about populations who are, are prone to diabetes and alcoholism oh, yes, yes. and all of the issues that come with either of those, not to mention cancer and you know things that have happened to us and jobs that we've had and chemicals that we've been exposed to and, and you know all kinds of environmental well, factors and you're, so. you're starting to see some of these tribes that are a lot more um, uh, self-sufficient being able to do that you know some of the some of the tribes in California they don't have IHS they have their own tribal um, clinics and hospitals and stuff and, and you know it's a, it's a completely different way of looking at stuff but when you can really truly call yourself sovereign like the Miccosukees or the Florida Seminoles or something like that that means that you have the resources to be able to really take care of your entire nation and that's what a lot of our people are, I mean we're just ill-equipped we're not we're not prepared to deal with that well, and I think we're in denial about it, too. I think that we sit here and we, we say, it's like I said, we say, oh, sovereign nation, and you can't push us around and everything, but you know what? Yeah, you can push us around because we take your grant money. We have to accept your federal regulations because we are ill-equipped to make our own and get those approved through the proper channels let's that's not even to mention the political shenanigans that that center around every tribal issue and everything that you always try to get done well and you know first of all i i really don't think ihs would would go away we'd still have ihs facilities even if we had reservations but the other issues are going to really be significant and just things like uh well for instance I, uh, I'm judge in a, a small court in Kansas, the Kickapoo tribe, uh, the northern Kickapoos, the Kickapoo tribe in Kansas. They have, um, you know, if we, if we lock somebody up, we're locking them up in a uh, county jail. We don't have our, our own facilities. Well, Oklahoma doesn't have, there, there are no tribal jails, there are no tribal facilities. And if the tribes, if all of the tribes suddenly tomorrow became, you know, just independent and the reservations were intact, where would we be putting those, uh, those people? You know, where the criminal issues are certainly going to still be there. The, uh, the drug issues are certainly going to be there. There's a lot of things that we don't really consider you know, within our within our own reservations, but um, you know the tribes may have to. Well, and you bring a good point up there, and I want to know about what, how would that even look for the state to relinquish, or even the federal government to relinquish that to the tribes, to where they would even allow them to build detention facilities within their own jurisdictions. Forget if they were for profit, you know, and the, you know, the, it just, it's such a double-edged sword. We, uh, we really don't know how 
uh, how that would look and how that would work out because quite frankly this is uh, one of those great unique Oklahoma issues that we see in Indian country you know everybody else has a pretty clear definition of what's Indian country and what isn't Indian country but Oklahoma you know we might uh, we might just have a, a totally unique thing there is a case out of uh, out of New York uh, it's called the Oneida decisions and that's kind of a situation where there were issues of sovereignty involved there were questions about whether the reservation was intact and and uh, you know how it should uh, how it should be sort of involved uh, came out of actually a, a civil matter but we look at that case and we can see the the Supreme Court ended up taking three whacks at, at Oneida trying to figure out how to work it because they didn't want to say oh yes the reservation is intact in in the Oneida cases that's that's kind of the same situation that we have here we don't know if the Supreme Court is is delaying this so that maybe Congress can say something Trying about to figure it. Out a way around it or anything whatever. like that you know Passing the buck. Um, so anything kicking the anything can down like the road that. so to speak well and this of course we don't know what the uh, what the the world might look like a, a year from now um, we could have a, a different Supreme Court we could have uh, people uh, people off the court you know uh, and I mean the obvious the obvious uh, one that everyone thinks of is Justice Ginsburg uh, may she live a long and fruitful life but, come, on, no, come on, notorious RBG. But there are rumors that Justice Thomas may want to step down. And if Justice Thomas steps down, you know, uh, he's, he's not a particularly good uh, spokesman for Indian people by any stretch of the imagination, but he did write that opinion about tribal reservations and jurisdiction. You know, he did write Parker. So if he steps down what happens well and people can surprise you in in those cases um, our guest today is Steve Hager and this is a brand spanking new segment here on talk jive radio it's ask a lawyer and Steve has agreed to come in here and give us his time with Oklahoma Indian legal services and answer some questions about what we have about our issues our legal issues here in Indian country and if you have a question that you want us to ask all you got to do is hook up with us on our social media sites we're on Facebook Twitter and Instagram send your questions through there tag ask an, ask a lawyer and uh, we'll make sure that we answer those right here on this show we're gonna do a 30-minute segment each week so that gives you plenty of time to uh, get your questions together and if you wanted to ask an attorney anything this is the time to do it because they handle all kinds of cases from um, ICW cases to um, keeping us posted on things like the Murphy case like we've been talking about today and they have all kinds of information and what I love about oils is that even if it's an issue that might be outside of what you of what your services entail you always know who to call you always know who to refer us to to make sure that we can get the best representation out there well we do have a, a great deal of institutional knowledge and that comes mainly from uh, from just being old uh, <laughs> you know but but we're happy to do this and we look forward to uh, to getting to talk to people and answering the questions that they might have 
Let's talk about um, ICW for a minute and how a lot of the um, same-sex couples are having some issues here within just the federal government alone. How is that um, playing out in the Indian country courts? Is it? Are there even any issues um, dealing dealing with with same same uh, sex couple adoptions or anything else like that? Would is, I mean, are there are there issues like that in Indian country right now, or, do, or have we not even heard about them? I um, I haven't heard about them, but that wouldn't necessarily mean that they're not happening. Um, the only way I would hear about them is if somebody came to our uh, office and said we're having this issue. Um, right now, it's pretty. Uh, I think it's pretty solid. Uh, the law seems to be, I'm saying up a lot, the law, that's my tell, that means I'm trying <laughs> to figure out what to say. <laughs> but the law, the law seems to be pretty solid right now as far as same-sex couples go and some tribes still have laws on their books that say that they won't recognize same-sex marriage. Uh, some tribes still have laws that say they'll only allow adoptions uh, between a man and a woman. And that comes out of that time period, I think, in the 1980s where that became a real issue and people really got panic-stricken about that. But since then, I think everybody's sort of taken a step back and, you know, the sky hasn't fallen and the world is still goes on. <laughs> And I think now that it's, it's pretty well accepted. I know in my court, uh, there's no particular uh, concerns or, or issues for, for those issues. But you know, within the, uh, within the Indian Child Welfare Act, that is going to raise some really interesting questions uh, if you have a child uh, removed from a same-sex couple. Um, how that's going to play out and how they're going to, uh, how the state is going to uh, respond to it. And, and the answer is I, I haven't heard anything and I don't know. Now, let me ask you this, and this is, just, this is just asking your opinion, because this is something I've noticed in working with the tribes um, as a consultant, is a lot of tribes modeled their constitutions after each other and they put in the same codes and regs as each other and so there are a lot of these antiquated um you know things on within their their laws that that they don't even know are there and they don't even do any good but yet it always seems like that is that's the sticking point into why we can't move forward and that's that's crazy too because that idea that um homosexuality or different uh, gender issues like that um, the idea that that was something bad was completely a European idea that wasn't something that that Indians thought originally a lot of those a lot of these tribes looked at those people as medicine people and you know they were they were um, you know they call them two-spirit like they they had both spirits in them you know and and it's crazy that we we've allowed that much of that European influence to come into our tribes like that, and, and like you said, a lot of it is just copying the the text from that cookie cutter constitution that every tribe you know just filled in the blanks for. So. Well, and what I what I always find interesting is just as a practitioner, is that the codes they're 
there are really, I don't know, maybe maybe four or five different codes in, in Oklahoma. I mean, everybody's got a code that has the same, uh, you know, the tribal name in it and everything. But then you start looking at it and there's the pipe stem code where, uh, you know, Browning Pipe Stem wrote, uh, wrote several different codes. Uh, you have the, uh, what I call the Rice-Bigler code, which uh, had Bill Rice and Greg Bigler. Uh, you have Gary Pitchlin, uh, who wrote codes, and Gary Pitchlin, of course, is still practicing. Greg Bigler's chief judge over at the, the Creek Nation. Um, you have certain codes that have been done, and then you have other codes that maybe look very similar to those codes, but maybe somebody just took one of those codes and changed the names and charged a tribe a whole bunch of money. Um, I, won't, I won't say anything, but let's just say my code uh, on occasion uh, at, the, at the Kickapoo tribe in Kansas, there are points where he didn't, uh, the person who wrote the code didn't even do a very good job um, even changing the name of it. So occasionally it, it will say Sack and Fox. Uh, which, you know, uh, the Kickapoos are close to the yes. second box, but that's not <laughs> why it says second box, you know. So we, we do see that a lot. We see codes that are, are poorly written. Uh, an example that, that sort of comes to my mind is the, uh, the Cheyenne uh, Arapahoe tribe of Oklahoma uh, hired some guys from out of state. And so they came in and they provided a code and they were used to very traditional reservations, Ooh. not the Cheyenne Arapahoe situation of trust land. Now, maybe, maybe they were looking ahead and they see something down the road that we didn't see. But <laughs> what ended up happening was that uh, it said, the, the code said that in order to be a tribal court judge, you had to live on the reservation. So you ended up with a, a guy, a, a Chickasaw judge named Bob Smith, and Bob Smith was living in a double wide uh, on the parking lot where they kept their heavy equipment. <laughs> so he would be he would be within the the jurisdictional requirements of the wow. of the code. And Bob Smith lived there for, and well until they they ran him off. But uh, <laughs> you know he, he lived in that double wide for quite some time. Uh, wow. And after that, I think the I think the tribe just said, "Well, we're not going to really pay attention to that." But you have things like that where people don't really consider those codes; they just throw them in. Now, do you think that's a slippery slope where even though it's still on the books and it's written that way, it's just like, "Eh, we're going to ignore it because we don't want to do that anymore." Because you got to follow code. You because have to you follow, follow policy. The code. Yes. You have to follow what's written down. And and you know, we we talk about this all the time. It's like, hey. With tribal citizens, if they really want to affect change, they have to do it before the election. They have to get it, you know, in motion before something actually happens. And then they get all in a tizzy and it's like, hey, it's written right here in this code that this is how we do this. This is in our policy. If you don't like the policy, you have to work to change the policy before you're mad at it. 
That might be well, the most Indian thing I've ever heard. <laughs> they decided to just not worry about that part. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, just talk it about it. Just, We're not it does do become, that. you have to have a point to where, I mean, there there is a recognition that these are relatively small uh, jurisdictions and that you've got to have some flexibility within those codes. <laughs> Otherwise, you're, you're not going to be able to get anything done. But all of those are, are they're real concerns. And, you know, tribes have to be kind of, uh, they have to really approach those uh, carefully and and be thinking about how they should proceed especially if Murphy comes out because that's going to be a, a you know a major change for a lot of the tribes in Oklahoma you know. uh, absolutely our guest today on our brand new segment is Steve Hager we're gonna do this ask a lawyer uh, segment every week he's graciously agreed to help us with that as well as the other attorneys at the Oklahoma Indian Legal Services so we're gonna bring them in each week and ask them your questions all you got to do is uh, follow us on social media submit your questions there with the hashtag ask a lawyer and uh, we'll have Steve on each week and we're gonna answer those questions that you you send in this is just another service that we offer here at talk jive radio and more unique programming that you absolutely can't find anywhere else so make sure you get those questions together for us and submit them through our social media sites at talk jive radio facebook twitter instagram you can e even email info at talkjive.org steve hager thank you so much for coming in and uh, talking to our indian people about these crazy issues that we have dealing with Indian law and just being Indian. <laughs> I, I look forward to this program so much. I think this is going to be a good opportunity. And as always, you know, uh, Oklahoma Indian Legal Services, we're one of the uh, five standalone programs nationally uh, that deal just in uh, low-income Indian law. If you've, if you've got questions, if you've got a case, you can always contact Oklahoma Indian Legal Services, and we're more than happy to help. That's right, and you can actually get right to their website from the Talk Jive homepage. All you gotta do is click on the oils button right there, and it'll take you right there, and you can get the information on how to contact them with your questions, and you can submit those, again, through our social media. I'm Kelly J. Lewis for Thomas Ware III and Steve Hager. This is Ask a Lawyer. We'll catch you back here next week on Talk Jive Radio. Have a great day.